0: We are in Melachim, Bet, chapter He, per He, Pasuk, Kaf, uh, uh, ba, 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 hey, Kafthal, Kaf yeah, something like that, Kaf So we just had that experience in which Naaman, the general of the army of Aram, went to Elisha, based on the advice of his Jewish maidservant, to get his leprosy cured. Elisha tells him, go into the Jordan River, dip seven times. He first gets upset. He's like, what is this? I wanted something more magical. Then he ends up going, and it works. So he basically tells Elisha, I'm going to become a servant of God from now on. I'm not going to serve other gods anymore. Please let me give you a gift. Elisha says, absolutely not. Now Gehazi says to himself, what the heck? This guy wanted to give us a gift. Let's go take it. So Gehazi then goes after him, tells him, two new students came, and Elisha asks if you could give them a change of clothes and some talents of money or gold. or What was it? Silver? Gold? Silver. Uh, silver. So, said <laughs> for sure, take two talents of silver. And he pushed him and he took, um, and he took the cl- change of clothes and the money and he gave it to, the, to his two servants to help Gehazi take. I think I made a mistake yesterday. I said it was, Gehazi's servants It's not, it's the servants of Naaman that he's giving, he's helping, asking them to carry it for Gechazi. So it must be a heavy amount of silver, if they need people to carry. it. Seems like it. Then he comes to a private area, Gechazi, with these two servants of Naaman. They get to like a private room or a house or something. He takes it from them, all these things, and he puts it in the house in hiding. And then he sends the people. Now, why is he doing it like this? He doesn't. He wants to put it somewhere safe. Before he gets to Elisha, so Elisha won't, <coughs> won't figure out. It's such a fascinating thing because he knows that Elisha is a Navi. But he still thinks that he could hide something from Elisha. So it's like, I don't know, I keep thinking of him as the kind of guy <laughs> I that... Know, like you can't hide from him. And No, I keep thinking of, of Gechazi as like that kind of guy who's like the corrupt outer layer of like the prophet or the or the the Kabbalist he has like his you know his like people that help him deal with the inquiries that are coming in from others like well he must I mean he was the leader of the Jewish people at the time like yeah for uh, sure he must have a he must have a servant gonna religion. help he him he must have many yeah for sure but I'm saying like he reminds me of the corrupt one I mean he is the corrupt one and it's I feel like sometimes with these people, they get so up close to like... And it's not only Kabbalists who have this, it's very big rabbis that have this also, that they have their outer layer of people that kind of control the flow of inquiries that come into the rabbi. And it's like, I have a hunch that sometimes those people respect the rabbi a little bit less than the rest of us. Because they're so close to him. They see him every day. Like they see him go use the restroom, you know, they see the person be human. While... You know, the rest of us just see from afar. So I feel like Gehazi maybe has a little bit of a lack of respect for Elisha. Clearly, he has a little bit of lack of respect for Elisha. I'm not sure if it's from being too close to him uh, for too long. Okay? We'll also see if he's corrupt or not. Let's see if he's gonna, what he's going to do with the silver. Let's see. And then he comes and he stands by his master. So Gehazi comes back to Elisha. Okay? And. And he said, where did you come from, Gekhazi? He said, I didn't go anywhere. What do you mean? I didn't go anywhere. So Alisha's on to something. Okay? He said, do you think my heart didn't go and think about you when a man jumped off of his chariot to, to, uh, before you? You think now is the time to take uh, money and clothing and olives and vineyards and sheep and cattle and servants and maidservants? Meaning, he's, he knows what he did. He says, oh, yeah. what, you don't think my mind was with you when some guy came and gave you... Uh, jumped off his chariot to greet you. You think now is a time to be taking bribes? Therefore let the tzara'at of Naaman Cling to you And to your descendants forever And he left Before Elisha Fully having tzara'at Alright Finally Gekhazi gets what he deserves um, It's interesting He took advantage of of Naaman. And because he took advantage of Naaman, in essence, he wanted what Naaman had. Right? He wanted the stuff that Naaman had. He wanted the money of Naaman. Okay, so he wanted the money of Naaman, he will get his sickness as well. It's kind of what Elisha says to Gechazi. And now Gechazi, for him and for his descendants forever, becomes a Mitzurah. Now, there's like a deeper meaning behind Mitzurah. Mitzurah has to leave the camp, right? Mitzurah is a... You know, there's even a phrase in English where we call someone a leper. It's like a, you know, someone you just want to ostracize and keep far away. And it's the person like Gehazi, the corrupt person like Gehazi, who is constantly thinking about his own personal gain, can't do anything altruistically, and almost a little bit like a, a sociopathic tendency or narcissistic personality, becomes a leper, becomes a person that everybody wants to stay away from. So it's a little bit fitting that Elisha, Now punished Gehazi with an external punishment That people will want to stay away from Up until now Gehazi was able to hide how bad of a person he was So people didn't know to stay away from him But by giving him an external sign of his sickness Now Elisha is basically ensuring that nobody gets up and close to Gehazi Because now people know that the guy is a leper He's a corrupt person Stay away from him So that's kind of the beauty in the punishment Uh, So to summarize the story Naaman is now better and he serves Hashem and he um, is uh, fully, fully going. He, he builds himself an altar to serve God back in his land, it seems like. And Gechazi, who tried to take money from Naaman for the services that Elisha provided, is now the leper and he is sick. Okay? Pas- uh, chapter 6, we'll continue. <laughs> The students of Elisha, the Bnei an they said to Elisha, our master, behold, uh, the place that we are sitting, that we currently dwell, is too small for us. Let's read the Radak for a second. They were sitting there in a very tight space. And that's because there were so many students, which means, there's a Midrash that actually says, that once Gehazi left the picture in the previous Pasuk, what all of a sudden happened to Elisha, his following group, because Ge'ezzi used to turn students away, and now all of a sudden Ge'ezzi is out of the picture. Everybody's like, "Whoa, it's not not corrupt anymore." So they come and they join. him. Gorash When Ge'ezzi left Elisha, as the students increased and people were very scared to come to Elisha because of how bad Gechazi was. Shayad for you And whenever Gechazi left, more students came until the house that Elisha used to teach. The students of Nevoah in that house became too small. Okay, So he said, "Let us go to the Jordan River Valley or the Jordan." And each person will take a log from there, and we'll make for there, for, uh, we'll make there a place for us to, to, to sit whenever we're studying. And Elisha says, "Okay, you can go." He said, please, please be kind or please be be it your will and go with your servants, meaning come with us to, to go chop the wood and bring the wood and make a house. So Elisha said, okay, fine, I'll come. I see this as another example of Elisha being very much involved in helping the people. Right, Once again. Like, I don't see Eliyahu Navi having done such a thing. Where the students ask him to come and do something as menial as chopping wood to build a home. But Elisha, it's important to Elisha for his students to be comfortable and happy. Okay, I'll come with you. Okay, so he goes with them. And he comes with them. And they go to the Jordan River and they start chopping the trees. And one person was cutting down a tree. Or cutting down a log. And the metal part of his axe flew off of the axe and fell into the water. Which water? Waters of the Jordan River. And then he said to his master, Oh, uh, master, this was a borrowed axe. Meaning, If it belonged to me, I wouldn't have cared so much that I lost the axe. But I borrowed it, and now I have to pay. So I don't have the money to pay this back. So this guy gets very scared that he lost the axe. So the man of God, meaning Elisha, says, He says, where did it fall? So the man says, where did it fall? And he shows him the place that it fell. Elisha then cuts a piece of wood, he sends it into the water, into the place where he pointed out that the axe fell and all of a sudden the axe head floats to the top of the water. Which is a miracle because metal doesn't float. There's a mifarayah. Let me see the, the radak here. Why did he have to cut a new piece of wood? What could, have he, what could he have used to throw into the water? Elisha. He could have used the the piece of wood that was already on, on the axe from before. Radak says a very interesting rule. He says, it seems like when it comes to miracles, they're typically done with new objects. Like, for example, a new flask. I think this was in the story of, um, with the oil, with the lady. Yeah. They brought in new flies. They typically, for some reason, it seems like the trend in the Nabi'im is for miracles that happen with new objects. It says he, uh, it's a very interesting point says, that Radak is making. This is, it says he fashioned the replica of the original axe handle to throw it. He fashioned the replica of the original. Uh, why not throwing the original? Yeah. Right? Why did he cut this piece of wood, Elisha? For it to be the new hand part of the axe. And the wood that he threw into the water went into the hole of the axe. And it started floating and it brought up the axe head with it. Which is also kind of impossible because it has to be the weight of the axe. Right? Wood floats. It's not that dense. But yeah. the, the metal doesn't. It's more also, dense. The head is significantly and the head is significantly heavier. So the wood going in shouldn't cause the whole axe to float float. Okay. okay, and it floats to the top. Now, what's the whole point of the story? So he tells his student, lift up your axe, and you lifts it and he takes it. What's the point of this story? I don't know exactly what the point of the story, but this story highlights a couple of other beautiful traits of Elisha. That he cares about his students, the fact that he went to, to help them build a bigger, a bigger place. And B, he cares about the very small things that happen to his students. So the student lost the acts of someone else. And he's very anxious that he lost someone else's money that he has to pay back. So Elisha goes out of his way to do a scene, what seems to be a miracle. To help this one student so that he, don't, he doesn't have to owe the person any money. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know any deeper meaning behind the story, but it does highlight. Is there like a halacha, if like something's borrowed and it's lost? There must be. There must be something. Like yeah, halacha, if something's borrowed and it's, borrowed, ours, it's you have lost, to, you, have to, you have to repay it. Yeah, of course you have to repay. it. Like exactly. So he's trying to show us something like that. So, I mean, of course you have to repay it. But yeah. in this case, the student didn't want to have to pay it in cash, and Elisha stepped up and helped him with this small little thing that occurred to him that the axe fell into the river, so that he wouldn't need to repay. It seems like Elisha saw that the student's heart was in the right place, and. He really did want to return the object and it was hard for him because, you know, he was planning on returning the object, not the money. And Elisha says, you know what, you're a good person, we're going to help you out with your small things. So from, even in this story, we see that the main thing with Elisha is helping the people. From the first day we met Elisha, when Eliyahu takes him and he starts following Eliyahu, he slaughtered his own ox and gave it to the people of the town. Meaning Elisha's whole personality is giving, it's giving to the people. And then every single item from then on was another act of giving. From helping the, um, the woman who had the creditor mm-hmm. after her with the oil, so it fills up many oils, <laughs> many flasks of oil, to um, the bread that he brought for his students that, students that he was able to feed and the miracle was that the bread was extra for them. Um, every say to giving the, the woman a blessing of a child and then reviving the child, it's all giving. The whole, that's the whole personality of Elisha is giving. It's rachamim. And I think, I mean, I, I know that the, the fascinating thing <clears throat> is that the, the, the comparison between Elisha and Eliyahu is meant to show us the two facets of how to deal with people. One is a way of deen punish them, they're wicked, this is not good. And what is the way of Rachamim? You give them enough and you show enough love and you eventually turn hearts. And it seems like we didn't find Eliyahu have masses and masses of students. But in this final story, we see that there are so many students that they need to build a new school for them. So I think it seems like the way of Elisha tends to be more effective in bringing people in. I have a feeling that that's the message of the book here. Okay. We'll continue with Pasuk Khayt tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Zalam. Amen Amen. Amen. Amen.